Amen. The title of the message is Endure to the End, Hard-Headed for the Truth. There are those that are hard-headed to the truth, but this is hard-headed for the truth. Dear Lord, I do thank you for those that are hungry for your truth. I thank you, God, for those that are still enduring, still steadfast. May we all be exhorted, Lord, to keep on keeping on. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The text is Mark chapter 13. You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. The world will not endure forever. The fashion of this world will not endure. The money will not endure. Your present life is but a vapor. The Bible says the earth mourneth and fadeth away. The world languisheth and fadeth away. We all do fade as a leaf, says another verse. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The Lord does, however, endure forever. His mercy endures forever. His righteousness, says the Bible. His goodness, says the Bible. His praise, His righteous judgments, His name, His dominion, His truth, and His word. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, The word of the Lord endureth forever. But we're also called to endure in the sense of holiness and truth, regardless of what the culture does, regardless of whether people agree or whether they love you or like you, regardless of the cost, all must be forsaken, says the Lord Jesus. And he calls us that are saved to put him and his calling above all people, above all the treasures of this world, even our own life. We must be found in the end, that is at death or the second coming, as one that has endured. There's going to be many enemies, many opposers, many snares, many obstacles and hardships. Satan is lurking. Watching, plotting his next move, his next attack, his next plan for your life. He may leave you for a season, but don't sleep. He's going to return soon enough for another round of warfare and fiery darts. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, if you, if, notice the if, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? The context is legitimate sons who are going to receive an inheritance, a kingdom inheritance. You have to endure chastening. That means God's going to exercise you. He's going to train you for warfare. He seeks to toughen you up through discipline. But just as in certain parts of the military, especially when it's not feminized, some cannot endure even the training, let alone the actual battle. 
So to endure until the end, you have to endure the Lord's chastening, His rebukes. That is, allow the Lord to correct you without rebellion, without despising it, without fainting, without turning against God and His people. Submit to your trainer-in-chief and the other trainers that He sends to help us, to help train you, to prepare you for holiness, for patience, peace, and joy, and finally, reward. James tells us in chapter 1, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. We have to endure chastening. We have to endure temptation and trials. What does that mean? It means don't listen to the devil in the midst of the trial. It means don't get offended. Don't get stumbled. Don't turn back away from God and his will because of what you're going through. Paul exhorts the Hebrew saints in chapter 10 to call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions, partly while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you became companions of them that were so used. That is to encourage them he says, remember, at one time you didn't care so much what people thought. At one time you associated with the saints and those that were being scorned and mocked. At one time you were willing to stand. You were, you were willing to endure. That's what you need to get back to. Get back to that first love, that first zeal. We become so petty, so soft, so careful in this Facebook culture of who likes us. Try to be at peace with all men. But the Bible says first purity, then peace. There is a fragility today in regard to endurance. There is a frailness, a fickleness. It's rooted in self-love, self-pampering that the Bible said would arise in the last days like never before. It's rooted in a life that neglects prayer. And as the Lord warns us, in an age when iniquity is abounding everywhere, it creates more oppositions to the way of holiness, more opportunities for sin and temptation. And when that happens, the love for the Lord, the love for His truth, the love for His coming kingdom, which you cannot see, the coming rewards that you cannot see, they lose their allure as you get caught up in the distractions of this world. And the Bible said in the last days, sin would abound. The opportunities for sin would abound. There would be great distractions. Think of this new AI world now of virtual reality, of supercomputers beyond anything that has been seen, of instant sinful gratification in many ways. The Bible warns in Mark 13 that you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. They're going to hate the true Jesus of the Bible. 
But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. This can apply to believers in the future tribulation period. But as we have seen, the promises for every believer in whatever age, you need to endure unto the end so you can be saved. This is not a promise of eternal salvation. Eternal salvation is by grace through faith alone in the righteousness of Christ imputed to us through his blood on the cross shed for us. There are those that are confused, many so-called evangelicals who are yoking up with Rome, and they might as well because they hold the same doctrine, no matter how hard they try to conceal it. They teach salvation through faith and faithfulness. You have to be faithful to be saved, is what they're saying, or to have assurance of salvation. No, the promise here is one of reigning with Christ. If you endure unto the end, you will get to reign with Christ. You will have salvation into the joy of the Lord, the fellowship in the coming kingdom of reward, the millennial kingdom of Revelation chapter 20. It's not a promise of mere physical salvation in this life, as many conclude. As if somebody can just hide out during the tribulation period and and if they endure into the end, hiding out, then they'll be saved. No, the context is, the teaching is, it's a promise of the future reign in the coming kingdom of temporal salvation at the judgment seat of Christ to those that are already eternally saved. The danger is that a believer will respond to the growing hatred all around him, especially in the last days, of people against the true Jesus against the true people of God that are standing for Him, against the commands of Christ, His works, His doctrines. And because of that opposition, because of that disgust and disdain and scorn and hatred for the things of God, the old paths, the sound doctrine, that God's people will decide that they're going to let their love grow cold. They're going to refuse to shine their light. They're going to hide their light. They're not going to identify with those who are standing and help them and support them. They're going to compromise what they believe. They're going to give in to Satan, to the flesh, the world. Maybe even join the other side, whether in name or not. They become opposers of those that speak and live the truth. Especially those truths that Satan and the world hate the most. Endure until the end. That is, until God brings you to the end of life or until His second coming. That's when your probation ends. This opportunity to win reward. This opportunity to please your Lord Jesus and have fellowship with Him and His sufferings. To be like Him, as Paul says in Philippians 3, that I might know Him, the fellowship of His sufferings that I might attain into the resurrection of the dead by any means, says Paul, Philippians chapter 3. Notice, Matthew 24, our Lord says it plainly, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Because of sin abounding, because of the deception of sin, love for God, love for mankind, love for fellow believers will become colder and colder. True charity endures. True love for God should endure. 
But instead, they become lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Help us all, dear Lord. Paul predicted it, and our Lord predicts it here. Iniquity shall abound, and the love of many, praise God, not all, but the love of many shall wax cold. Their love for the things of God, their love for each other in the truth, their love for the Lord and His ways and His holiness. They don't love the Lord's appearing. They don't love their fellow servants that are giving out the true meat and not eating and drinking with the drunken. But he tells us in the very next verse, as iniquity abounds everywhere, as the love of many wax cold, he says, but he that endures unto the end, he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. They're going to be believers. They're going to lose their love, many of them. They're not going to endure sound doctrine. They're not going to endure walking in the truth and standing in the truth and being faithful. And they're not going to be saved, meaning at the judgment seat of Christ, meaning in regard to that second justification of James 2, which is for believers. The judgment seat of Christ for believers. They are saved in eternity. If they truly believe in the Lord Jesus, trust in His righteousness, His death on the cross. But if they're not following Him, if they're not enduring, then they're not going to receive the crown at the judgment seat of Christ of the kingdom reign. Don't stop enduring until God says, time's up. You've finished your course. Your fight is over. The race is finished. But some will see the sin. They will see the persecution. And they will begin to count the cost with satanic fuzzy math. And they, like Demas, will forsake the pause of this world. Paul was in the dungeon of Rome. Many of even his closest friends forsook him. Demas forsook him, loving this present world, says Paul. He didn't endure. He drew back to the world. Our Lord Jesus describes these believers in Mark chapter 4. He says they have no root in themselves and so endure, but for a time. The Holy Ghost is not lying. He's not speaking figuratively. He said they endured for a time. But afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word, word's, word's sake, immediately they are offended. That means stumbled. They trip up. They trip over some bitter root who persuades them. They count the cost and decide it would be better for them to enjoy this present world than to experience affliction and persecution because of the word, because of standing for the word, because of confessing Christ and his truth and his words and his ways and living for Christ. In other words, they're not enduring to the end. They're not finishing their course. They're saved in eternity, but they're not saved at the judgment seat. That's why Peter tells us in chapter 1, Gird up the loins of your mind. 
Don't let your mind just drift away with anything the devil puts in it. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the second coming. Hope to reign with him. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be you holy in all manner of conversation. That's your whole lifestyle. Last week we noticed that when things are falling all around you, when the foundations of holiness are falling all around you, when people are deciding that it's better to go a new way, with a new path, a new way of Christianity, that we're not to have fellowship with such. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, meddle not with them that are given to change. That's this unholy change, a new cart, new ways of doing things because everything is shaking all around you. Maybe we need to tone down the Word of God. Maybe there's certain standards of holiness that we need to not preach on anymore. No, the Bible says in such a time as this, in such a time that we are to preach the word with zeal and urgency, regardless of the responses that they make, regardless of the choices of the stubborn people, regardless of their rebellion. Therefore, to pastors and teachers, and everybody's called to be a teacher in some sense, when people do not endure sound doctrine, God calls the pastors and teachers to endure. When they don't endure, we are to endure. Endure what? Certainly the sound doctrine. Certainly you are to endure sound doctrine that everybody else is rejecting. But the context really means that you are to endure hardness. That is their hard responses. You are to endure their stubbornness. And what that means is you're not to quit preaching. You're not to quit telling people. You're not to quit. Even when they respond with retaliation and afflictions and persecutions, even when it's your own loved ones, the Bible says, don't quit. Stay faithful. Stay at your post as a watchman. Continue sounding the alarm. Continue preaching against sin. Continue warning them of the coming judgment seat of Christ and the judgment of the nations. Continue to teach them to hope in His coming truth and let them know that they must suffer against the flesh, against the world, and against the devil. They must grow in holiness if we're going to win the prize and receive that well done, thou good and faithful servant. There's going to be bitter people that will slander. There's going to be angry people. There will be persecution. But the Lord's teachers are not to hide the truth or allow themselves to be manipulated by people's fits, by their tantrums. They need to be meek. They need to not strive in a sinful way. But they must, in a sense, be hard-headed for the truth. The Lord's way. Hard-headed like the people are against the truth. They need to be hard-headed for the truth. The Lord makes this clear. 
In Ezekiel 3, he said unto me, Son of man, go, get thee into the house of Israel and speak with my words unto them. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. It's as if Ezekiel says, Lord, they're not going to hear. They're stubborn. And God says, I know they're stubborn. They don't listen to me. They're not going to listen to you. But don't worry. They're hard-headed, but I've made you hard-headed. Now go walk in that boldness that I've given you. And you preach to them anyway. It says in Isaiah 50, Isaiah says, the Lord will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Micah says in chapter 3, But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, and of judgment, and of might, to declare unto Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. God tells Ezekiel in chapter 3, As an adamant harder than flint, have I made thy forehead. Fear them not. Neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. He tells them in chapter 13, Ezekiel, Thou son of man, set thy face against the daughters of thy people, which prophesy out of their own heart. So Ezekiel tells them, You have strengthened the hands of the wicked, that he should not return from his wicked way by promising him life. Jeremiah had to stand, even against rebellious women. They told Jeremiah in chapter 44, But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth. They said, When we followed your ways, Jeremiah, we did not prosper. But when we went the way of the world and followed the fashions of the world and the idols of the world, we began to prosper. So we're going to do whatever we want to do. That's a temporary trick of Satan. Or put it this way, it's a standard trick of Satan, a favorite trick. But it is only temporary. The prosperity is only temporary. In fact, our Lord admitted you might even gain the whole world. But what about your soul at the second coming in this brief life that says a vapor? So they go on to tell Jeremiah, no, we prospered when we did things our own way. What they call prosperity. And they tell him, when we burned incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings unto her, did we make her cakes to worship her and pour out drink offerings unto her without our men? That is, they say, we're not being rebellious. Our husbands are in it with us. They gave me permission to do this wickedness. As Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown say, instead of helping one another towards heaven... Husband and wife often ripen one another for hell. 
This is the kind of thing the prophets of the Old Testament had to deal with. But it is not different. For God's teachers in the New Testament age, especially in the last days, Paul says in 2 Timothy 1, This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. He tells Timothy, Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's going to receive the same opposition for his connection with Paul, for his connection with the Lord. For his stand for the Lord's truth. Be strong. Thou therefore, he says, endure. There's our word. Hardness. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He goes on and tells Timothy. Young Timothy. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake. That they may also obtain the salvation. Which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He might be saying here, I believe that there's people that are saved in eternity, but he wants them to receive the reward at the judgment seat of Christ. He wants them to, to receive that well done and enter into the fellowship of the Lord in his reign. This matches the context because he goes on to say it is a faithful saying. If we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. You don't obtain or even keep eternal salvation by suffering. But you do obtain and keep the reward by suffering, by striving, by laboring, by enduring. The same warnings our Lord gave his own disciples after they were saved. At the end of Mark 8, he says, What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? That means at the judgment seat of Christ, at the second coming. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. He tells us if we confess him, he will confess us on that day. If we deny him... In this world, before this adulterous generation, he will deny us when he comes in this glorious day with all these holy angels. All throughout the Bible, it tells us about this coming day of the Lord's appearing and that we should strive to be found faithful and not be ashamed at his coming. Paul goes on to tell Timothy, this know also, after he told him to endure hardness, he said, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And he gives a list of what's going to happen as they turn to pleasure and love pleasure more than God and all of the things that they're going to be, false accusers, all of that whole list of sins. He goes on to say, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, the persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. There's the word. He didn't just say he experienced them. He said he endured them. That means he didn't give up. He didn't stop. He didn't soften his stance for the Lord. He set himself steadfast. Continued to preach. Continued to stand for the truth. Regardless of the persecutions. When Paul says, I endured, it meant they couldn't stop me. 
They couldn't shut me up. They could not discourage me. He says, but out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. This is why he says again and again, it is through much tribulation, much suffering that we enter into the kingdom of God. If we suffer, we shall reign. If you live godly, Satan's going to stir up opposition. Even God's people will often oppose you. But you've got to stand. You've got to become more hard-headed than they are. So he says, I charge thee, therefore, in light of all of this, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. That's the living and the dead. Preach the word. Be instant, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. The word instant, as we've seen, means urgent, zealous, passionate, pressing. In other words, don't, don't hide the truth. Don't tone it down. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Whatever degree that was fulfilled in Timothy's life, we understand the long-range prophecy is for us today. They're not going to endure. And there's going to come a time like never before when you will see a generation of even true believers that will not endure sound doctrine. They will not endure the preaching of it. But instead, the Bible says they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. People that will tell them what they want to hear. As God says in the Old Testament, if they prophesy to them of wine and women, they shall be the prophet of the people. But he says, watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. Again and again, we see that word. They're not going to endure sound doctrine, but you have to endure their fits, their tantrums, their persecutions, the afflictions raised by their false accusation in life. You must endure it. You must keep on. And he's not just talking to pastors. He's not just talking to preachers. In one sense, he's talking to everybody because we all must, in some sense, stand for his truth. We must all, in some sense, teach people his truth and stand for it. Do thy, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. God's people that are standing need and desire the fellowship of others that are standing to receive that refreshment and exhortation and encouragement. He says, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. In other words, come quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica. And Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. What's the summary? The summary is this. In the last days, many of God's people will not endure sound teaching. They're not going to endure the preaching. They will oppose it as they oppose the prophets and the watchmen sent to them in the Old Testament times. In response to this state of affairs, 
God's faithful teachers must endure hardness, endure afflictions, persecutions. That is, don't stop teaching His truth with urgency. Keep at it, though the people cannot and refuse to bear it. It's for their own good, which they will see before very long. And though the people refuse to hear the watchman blowing the trumpet, the Bible says that even if they do not hear, in fact, God even predicts that they will not hear you, but He says, blow it anyway, and the watchman will deliver his own head. Jeremiah was also told, just as in 2 Timothy 4, that he has to preach, he has to give the warnings, but they will not endure. They will not hear, but he must stand regardless. He says in Jeremiah 6, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. But nevertheless, Jeremiah had to preach. He had to tell them. Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and you shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. Also I set watchmen over you, saying, Hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not hearken. So God tells Jeremiah, I have set thee for a tower, and for a fortress among the people that thou mayest know and try their way. They are all grievous revolters, walking with slanders. He says in chapter 7, Therefore thou shalt speak all these words unto them, but they will not hearken unto thee. Thou shalt, thou shalt call unto them, but they will not answer thee. Cut off thy hair, O Jerusalem, and cast it away, and take up a lamentation on high places, for the Lord hath rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. It is interesting in this context that God tells them to cut their hair off, tells the women to cut their hair off because they've been forsaken. Our fundamentalist forefathers, as the great D.M. Panton and others back in the 20s and 30s, said that this will be a prophetic sign of the last days. There'll be a trickling of the sign and then pretty soon it would snowball and you will see the final sign of the generation that will enter the tribulation period. A generation forsaken in many ways. Many of them that will not obtain the coming blessings at the judgment seat. This was the sign of Blavatsky, the Satanist, the Luciferian in the 1800s. Cut her hair off. The sign of Margaret Sanger, the abortionist, Planned Parenthood leader that the Nazis loved, the woman rebel. Putting aside those with some medical issues, it is one of the chief signs of the last days, according to the Bible, of those that are rejecting God's true teachers and God's truth. They reject the beauty of holiness outwardly. It says in chapter 8, why have they provoked me to anger with their graven images and with strange vanities? He tells them again in chapter 9, Take ye heed every one of his neighbor. Trust ye not in any brother. Every brother will utterly supplant. Every neighbor will walk with slanders. 
He says in chapter 11, The Lord said unto me, A conspiracy is found among the men of Judah. They are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, which refuse to hear my word. You know, it's sad when a new generation hears the truth and can correct the former generation and some of the standards that they have thrown away to the wayside. And God begins to rebuild and reset the family line. And how sad it is that some walk for a time and then say, no, I'm going to go back to the sins of my parents and the sins of their parents. I'm not going to allow a Josiah revival to take place in my life. I'm not going to be part of that. I want to go back to the comfortable, the ways that the world delights in, the ways that Satan will reward me for. Until you find out the hard way that sin is only pleasurable for a season and then that season ends and you must reap what you have sown. And the Bible says at such a time, don't pray for them. He told his prophets, don't pray for them. When they call, I will not answer. It's judgment time. He finally tells Jeremiah, chapter 11, verse 20, I will make thee unto this people a fenced, brazen wall, and they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee to save thee and to deliver thee, saith the Lord. If we will be faithful teachers and preachers, we got to walk in the Lord's provision to be bold, to be hard-headed for the truth, for the old paths, for the ways that lead to true liberty and peace in the end, even though it's a narrow way and a straight way and looks difficult. Like the woman at the well pointed them to the Messiah, to the Christ, by her testimony, we're all called to be teachers in some way to stand for His truth and to shine it. It wasn't just pastors that the Lord said, let your light shine before men. It wasn't just pastors and preachers that He says, if you confess me and are not ashamed of my words, I'll confess you at the judgment seat. It's all people. Everyone who believes. How can fathers and mothers raise righteous, sane children if they allow their children to be more hard-headed toward rebellion and foolishness than the parents are toward obedience and the ways of wisdom? God forbid that a mother or a father gives in to the tantrum of a child and lets them have a way that the mother or father knows is not for the best of them. That's self-love. That's not even real love, says the Bible. In earlier centuries, the strength of America was built on God-fearing ways. And in those God-fearing ways, they raised children a special way, according to the book of Proverbs. From the writings of Susanna Wesley to even John Locke and hundreds of Christian writers, thousands, they taught that you must rule your children. You must be more hard-headed than your children are or you'll send them to hell. It'll lead to their own destruction. You can't help anybody by giving in to fits and tantrums. Look at some of the 
documentaries and things about this iPad generation where you've got toddlers and little children screaming for their iPad or for their phone. They can't even pronounce the word iPad, but they're screaming. And then you see them a few years later as teenagers. They're still screaming like little brats. And then you see them as adults. They're still the same brats that they were because they never grew out of it. Nobody, nobody confronted them. Nobody loved them enough to help them grow out of it. And what we see now, it's no longer just a whining generation as there was earlier. No. Now you have not just a whining generation, you have an outrageous generation of fits and tantrums because they get, didn't get their way. They'll murder you. They're fierce, but not in some manly way. They're like the sodomites that tried to rape the male angels in the book of Genesis. They want their way and they'll kill to get it. We're called to exhort one another in the truth. The Bible says in Hebrews 3, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. What is the antidote? It's exhortation. Whether they like it or not. There comes a time when you have to just let people be to some degree. But the Bible does say that one of the antidotes to this is the exhortation, the preaching, the teaching, the preaching with urgency, the reproving, the rebuke. The exhorting. Govet told in 1872, Robert Govet of England, Norwich, he wrote a letter to his church and says the days of dark are darkening all around us. He said that in 1872. The evil days of which the scripture gives us warning. Faith seems to be dying out in many hearts. Against this sad state of soul, the remedy taught us by the Holy Ghost is constant exhortation. What in the world would Govet have thought about the day and age we're living in? But still, the same antidote is to be provided. Whether they will hear or not, we must exhort. Especially those that are standing, exhort them that they keep standing. A writer for the Wall Street Journal sounds the alarm that many have been trying to sound for almost a century now. In the mail of February 25th, the article is titled, How Touchy-Feely Parenting and Therapy Have Created the Loneliest, Most Helpless, Depressed, and Fearful Young People Ever. She says, when we were little, my brother and I were occasionally smacked by our parents. Our feelings weren't considered over important decisions. Where we would go to school, how often we visited our grandparents, what sort of clothes we'd wear. But as millions of women and men of my age, I'm now in my mid-40s, she says, as we entered this adulthood, we signed up for therapy. We vowed that our child rearing would be different 
We would cherish our relationship with our children and tear down the barrier of authority that past generations had erected between parent and child. In other words, I would be my children's buddy. More than anything, we wanted to raise happy kids. We looked to the experts for help, and we devoured their best-selling parroting books. In other words, back to the Spock generation again, the whole Spock trick of the 1940s. We never, ever smacked our child. An ideal childhood meant no pain, no discomfort, no fights, no failure, and absolutely no hint of trauma. In a panic, we rushed them to the mental health professionals for testing, for diagnosis, for counseling and medication. We needed our children and everyone around them to know they weren't shy. They just have social anxiety disorder. They weren't poorly behaved. They had oppositional defiant disorder. They weren't disruptive. They have ADHD. And the schools jumped on the bandwagon. Mental health staff expanded. The new regime would diagnose and accommodate, never punish or reward. Boy, Big Pharma found a gold mine in all of this. That's why they continue this whole thing with propaganda. She goes on to say, millions of us bought into this dogma, believing it would cultivate the happiest, most well-adjusted children. But instead, with unprecedented help from mental health experts, we have raised the loneliest, most anxious, depressed, pessimistic, helpless, and fearful generation on record. Bosses and teachers now confirm this analysis, reporting that members of Generation Z appear utterly unprepared to accomplish even basic adult tasks, including showing up for work. We may already be seeing the fruits, a generation of kids who can never ignore any pain, no matter how trivial. And yet we beg doctors to give our children anti-anxiety medications. Clinical psychologist Joshua Coleman has devoted his entire practice to a growing phenomenon known as family estrangement. Adult children cutting off their parents, refusing to speak to them, even barring them from seeing their grandchildren. They didn't get their way. They were dare, opposed by tough love. She goes on to say, when parents confront the adult children who've done this, Coleman tells me the typical explanation, explanation they give is, well, my therapist said you emotionally abused me when I was growing up. I'll say this. Even those that don't go to therapists, they're getting that pop psychology therapy from the world, from Hollywood, from social media. She goes on to say, Generation Z has received more therapy than any other. In the U.S., nearly 40% have received treatment from a mental health pro a professional, compared with 26% a Generation Zers, uh, Xers, that is, Xers, those born between 65 and 1980. 42% of Generation Z currently has a mental health diagnosis, rendering normal increasingly abnormal. One in six American children aged two to eight years old has a diagnosed mental behavioral or developmental disorder. Nearly 10% of children now have a diagnosed anxiety disorder. 
And one of the worst consequences of this hyper-focus on present feelings and the professionalization of our child-rearing is that we devalue everything grandparents have to offer. We saw them as backward, racist, and crude. We corrected their interactions with our children or barred them entirely. In many ways, that's a very good understanding of at least what's wrong today. Paul Harvey says in 1965, If I were the devil... His words in 1965 were prophetic in many ways. He says, if I were the devil, I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction, and I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. Boy, he was more right than he realized. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, and churches at war with themselves. If I were the devil, I'd encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to ever discipline emotions. Just let them run wild. Remember, Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind. I'd have judges promoting pornography. And in... The Lord's own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion, and I would deify science. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that what you see on TV is the way to be, and I would undress you in public and lure you into a bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, he ends by saying, if I was the devil, I'd just keep on doing what I'm already doing. He was right about psychology. He was right about the immodesty of this age. The Bible says in Colossians 2, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, not after Christ. That's exactly what psychology is. Just, just put science on something and people will, will fall for it. A few days ago, theconversation.com, repeated in study finds, tells us this headline, Is everyone angry? Toxic outrage culture consuming society like never before. Usually this ire is directed at perceived transgressions. And the behavior we witness on an issue can stir up our own emotions in what's called emotional contagion. We may feel compelled to join the choir of negativity. In other words, this outrage spreads like a disease. It jumps on you, and the Spirit takes you over. This move, this is me preaching, this move toward softness, this self-absorbed worship of our feelings and our emotions, it began in the 19th century, when music reached the romantic period, when Christian Sunday school material was geared almost only toward feminine virtues, 
There was so much good about the 19th century compared to today. But you could already see the devil planting his seeds that would grow up into a mighty harvest in our day and age. Every generation has to contend with flesh. But the Bible says as the coming of Christ and the end of the age approaches, a generation will arise that will pamper its flesh like never before and be so full of hate. 2 Timothy 3 Proverbs 30 says there is a generation that curses their father and does not bless their mother. There is a generation that appear in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords. In other words, the most selfish, self-pampered, self-loved generation is also the generation that will curse you, that will hate you, that will destroy you if you stand in their way. The Holy Ghost goes on in chapter 30 of Proverbs to say the horse leech has two daughters crying, give, give. This is a prophecy. Then even mother and her daughters will be like leeches, selfish. I want my way. I want my way. Screaming and screaming and screaming and throwing fits in churches, throwing fits in families. I must have the world. I must have the iPad. I must have this. I must have that. I must do what everybody wants. It's like a when I was growing up, you knew a brat because they'd be inside the store saying, no, I have to have this. I have to have an alligator on my shirt. I have to have the Nike flat. I have to have this. I have to have that. They'd get down on the ground, throw a fit if they didn't get it. That generation grew up and had kids. Govet again in a letter to his church in 1850. 1850 says, it grieves me to see that so many so loosely hold their membership in the body of Christ that any trifling misunderstanding with a brother or any real or supposed objection against one who ministers is considered ground enough to throw up their place among us. Is not this proof that love is waxing cold? In such, in such a state of things, the various trifles are enough to cause dissatisfaction or even, which is worse, to raise up parties. He says in 1859, are there not some who through misunderstandings and strife stand apart one from another? The works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? Hatred, variance, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Govet in other letters says this whole spirit of strife that's growing in the last days. He links to a lack of prayer at home, a lack of family devotions, a lack of people having time to pray by themselves to God. And so when they come into the churches, they're full of selfishness. They don't see God. They have no fellowship with God in prayer and in his word. And they come in the churches and they just tear it up. They tear up each other. They bite and devour. As I close, listen now. It's not that having feelings is wrong in itself. God's not calling you to be a robot or some AI demon or something. He's showing us that when 
You make your feelings a God. When you run from every bit of pain, when you become selfish with your feelings and begin to pamper those selfish feelings, so now you have no self-control. Just like people don't make their children obey them, they don't make their feelings obey them. Or put it this way, they give their feelings whatever they scream for. And then they just grow worse and worse and worse. This generation of self that rejects anything and anybody that even calls you away from a selfish habit or selfish desire. It's a generation of stifled growth that really, though it might grow in body full of hormones and antibiotics, it never really grows in inner maturity. It's still an infant. It's still a toddler, though it has passed through teenage years, even adult years, even entered into midlife. It's still an inner toddler, that inner child of the psychologists. Let me close with this verse. Isaiah 28. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. That doesn't feel good to one that is weaned. But it's necessary for their growth. Sometimes we're to be denied for our growth. Sometimes we're to be told what we don't want to hear for our growth. And the sooner we learn that, the sooner we begin to grow up in the Lord, the sooner He can begin to teach us things and show us things. And we begin to find peace and joy that comes from self-control, self-discipline, in body, soul, and spirit. Dear Lord, we do pray that as Paul disciplined himself in a godly way, kept his body under him, Lord, and would not be under the power of anything. In the same way, Lord, let us not pamper our flesh, our inner flesh. Let us not live for self. Let us not be crybabies and throw tantrums. Let us not be filled with outrage and hate because we didn't get our way. Lord, we pray we will follow your ways and you, you promised us that we'd find rest for our souls even. But you also predicted that many would, would reject. They would not do things your way. And I believe, Lord, you're saying that this will be the generation that not only receives much chastisement from you and judgment, but it'll be the generation that enters into the tribulation period. May many awake then and wash their robes and hear that well done, thou good and faithful servant. Help us keep on, help us endure. And again, Lord, may we become more hard-headed than the rebels to stand for you in these last days. In Jesus' name, amen.